And so we begin to be criticized. Some of us Muslims are criticized by others of us Muslims because we show because we show an outpour of affection towards certain personalities in our Islamic past. Or it could be in our Islamic present, but most of it is in our Islamic history. But what goes unreported in their minds, unnoticed, is their affection for figures who have power and who have wealth and which they show adoration and admiration for these types and no one takes the case makes the case and takes it against them okay let's say a certain person he thinks very highly of not only thinks very highly but shows an emotional attachment to the prophet or shows an emotional attachment to an imam ali or shows an emotional attachment to Abdul Qadir al-Gilani or al-Gilani this is pronounced both ways depends on what part of the world you're from or another such figure in Islamic history Mawlana al-Rumi and others there's many others there's no time to go through these particular details and you're, they're accused you, you stand in a position of being accused you have gone beyond the limits and so you become a mubtada you become a dal you become a mushrik this is in in their vocabulary and this pertains to some sahaba some people from ahlil bayt even to the prophet himself they they don't want you to show uh, an outpouring of affection and love and attachment to the prophet and this is demonstrated when you go to the Prophet's Masjid in Al-Madinah. What happens to you there? If you want to just approach the Prophet's grave and think about the Prophet and respect him in your own self and in your own psychology. I'll tell you no. Get away from here and then they begin showing you their force. This all began, this type of depart departure from Islam began with the Umawis uh, the, the, I think this should become common knowledge and it should become the talk of the town this all began with the Umawis and this is what destroyed the message of the Quran this type of approach to things this type of thinking about things in one aspect this destroyed the message when someone asks it's all right brothers and sisters i want us to grow and sometimes you have to be pricked you have to be jolted to sort of get the point without without falling into your own traditional difficulties when you ask a Muslim who considers himself a Sunni, what madhab are, do you uh, do you belong to? Well, they'll give you one of these, basically four major madhab, Sunni madhabs, or he'll just generally say, "I'm just a Sunni." It would be more accurate for that person to say he doesn't know it, because this part of history is omitted from his growing up and from his understanding of Islam and the Prophet and the Quran but in fact this type of person is an Umawi he's not a Sunni he's an Umawi he doesn't know it but that's when in fact that's what he is in fact he has he has uh, uh, grown up gaining the definition of Islam from the imposed policies of the Umawis 1400 years ago that still live on until our day here and now the same thing can be can be said about shias i don't want to distract and begin you know a sort of comparison here and i think because i'm perceived by some muslims and i say this astaghfirullah from refer uh, from the reference to self some muslims perceive me as a sunni 
and some Muslims perceive me as a Shi'i. I don't care, honestly. But they have to get their information straight and they have to get their facts together. The person, you ask a person who comes from any Shi'i context, generally speaking, of course there's exceptions to all of this, but I'm looking at the mass, the critical mass here and there. If you ask a, a person who maybe he's a Zaydi Shi'i, maybe he is a Ja'fari Shi'i, maybe an Ismaili Shi'i, whatever the case is. You ask him, you know, how do you define yourself? I'm a, he says, oh, I'm a Shi'i. In fact, and he doesn't know it neither, but what he really is, is a Safawi. He's not a Shi'i, just like the other person is not a Sunni. The other person is an Umawi, and this person is a Safawi. And they don't know it. And our task is try to educate them, try to provide them with the necessary information that will have them loosen up from these chains of tradition. So the Qur'an, Allah brings us back. So if we go beyond the Umawi and Safawi impositions on us and we take a fresh look at how Allah is speaking to us. Allah says in the Quran, Can they not take a close look at livestock, at the camels, at cattle, how it was created? This is an invitation for the mind to begin to probe I mean, 1400 years ago, our knowledge was sort of limited. Our, what is called scientific knowledge. Now we have more. We have progressed more. We have accumulated more knowledge. The same ayah now has more meaning to it. But because we're stuck with the Umawi and Safawi past, the ayah is still the same. It has limited amount of knowledge to it. Another ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah 164, or rather before that, there's an ayah in Surah Al-An'am, Unzuru ila thamarihi idha athmara wa yan'ah. Take a scrutinizing look at what we call in today's world agriculture, produce, vegetables, plants, vegetation, all of this world, the the, plant, the kingdom of, of plants and trees and shrubbery and all of this, which, which now we have sciences that study these details. We, not Muslims, humanity has sciences that study. And we are supposed to have been the initiator of these, science, of these sciences the maintainers of these sciences and the promoters of these sciences. But where, where are we on the science scale when we put ourselves in the company of the other researchers, investigators, discoverers in the world? Where are we? The other ayah, inna fi khalqi samawati wal ard. I can't translate these ayat. I will state, I will quote them, and then you can go to the Quran and review and see for yourself when you are comfortable time-wise and circumstance-wise. Think where thought is lacking. Inna fi khalqi samawati wal ard. See, you, right now you, you understand samawati wal ard. layli wal nahar. وَالْفُلْكِ الَّتِي تَجْرِي فِي الْبَحْرِ بِمَا يَنْفَعُ النَّاسِ وَمَا أَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مِنْ مَاءٍ فَأَحْيَا بِهِ الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا وَبَثَّ فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ دَابَّةِ وَتَصْرِيفِ الرِّيَاحِ وَالسَّحَابِ الْمُسَخَّرِ بَيْنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَعْقِلُونَ آية 164 in Surah Al-Baqarah this is, this is the area in if, we, if we didn't have 
the intrusion of Umawi policies and Safawi policies in our midst, these are the areas that would be, these are the ayat, and this is the area in which our mind, our thoughts would be fermenting and producing. But no, you're taken away from that because you have another religion. This is not the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The ones that take us into, you know, oh, this person thinks this way, and that per- this person is Sunni, that person is Shia, etc. So these, these mufassirun at the beginning, let's say the first mufassir was mujahid, the second mufassir was muqatil, the third mufassir was a tabari, and these... Okay, when they read these ayat in their own time, in their own time frame, when they read these ayat, they understood certain things as far as the body of information that they have. But that body of information has grown by leaps and bounds since that time. So these ayat have more meaning to them. And where do we have? Which tafsir or mufassir that you go to in today's world who can give you the cumulative information that we have, call them facts, call them scientific discoveries, whatever you want to call them. These ayat come alive even more than they were when our, when human knowledge was a limited quantity, so to speak. How many times in the Qur'an do we come across, and this doesn't occur, if you're an Umawi type of person, or you're a Safawi type of person, when Allah says in the Qur'an, أَفَلَا تُبْصِرُونَ أَفَلَا تَسْمَعُونَ أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ أَفَلَا تَتَفَكَّرُونَ If you are, if you are in that climate of Allah asking you, don't you, can't you see? Can't you listen? Can't you think? Can't you reason? Where is our reasoning? Where is our bethinking of these issues? Where is it? When we're stuck in, oh, he's a Sunni, he's a Shiite. Let's get out of that and come back to Allah and His Prophet. The, the Quran is a book that Allah has favored us with extensive guiding knowledge in it. But the Quran is also, it's just like a manual. If you have a a certain type of instrument, let's say a car, to drive that car, there are certain things you have to do. You just can't sit on the seat and the car is going to go by itself. You can't just read the Qur'an and the Qur'an is going to take its effect. No. So, there are ayat in the Qur'an that teach us how to operate the Qur'an, so to speak. One ayah says, لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ لِتَعَجَلَ بِهِ This is in Surah Al-Qiyamah. You can go to it and look it up. أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَى قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Can they not manage this Qur'an or are there locks over, the, over their hearts? This is in Surah Muhammad, Ayah 24. In Surah Al-Qamar, Ayah number 17. وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِنْ مُدَّكِرٍ What happened when the Umawis began to emasculate our Islam and our Qur'an and the Prophet and the household of the Prophet? When they began that process, I'll say this as another person said it. Islam was like a deer, that innocent animal that you see, a deer, that entered into a jungle Islam was the deer, the jungle was the Umawis and people who want power and have wealth. And what came out of that jungle was not a deer, 
it was a a limb of that deer just one limb of that deer could have been an arm a foot a leg whatever that's all that's all what what was left of islam after the umawis had done their massacres their war policies and the the rest of these ugly things that they did islam was reduced to rituals which all of us have inherited rituals that's how you become a muslim that because islam was torn apart by those who had power and who had wealth the omawis could not bring down the prophet his position so they began to deal with those because during the prophet's time allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the muslims the love for the prophet that they could not deal with so what did they do they went to those who are the kin folks of the prophet and they began to deal with them and you had for 90 years from the manabir you had the cursing and the condemnation of the prophet's household from the manabir it was official made official and then what did they do they began to target with their killer policies the those who belong to allah's prophet not only by a bloodline but by an ideological commitment and this is one of these areas that has become foggy in the muslim mind oh the, the prophet's household is holy because it's his bloodline that's a one simple reason and it's not the main reason the main reason it is because they became his ideological line and that's why they were targeted it was only just oh they, these are from the prophet okay fine they have no ideology to speak about they have no program for life they don't carry the prophet's message with them okay we'll leave them alone but because they were the embodiment of what the prophet stood for therefore they became wanted by the state so we had the kaaba the kaaba was destroyed twice we had them these umawis we had them come to al medina and wage war inside al medina in which some historical reports 3000 muslim women were impregnated this all happened because they wanted to take away from the message of allah its core and people who stood in their way were gunned down so there were no guns in those days but that's what it means they were eliminated and they went beyond muslims they also took action even though they had support from the superpowers of those times they took action against the minorities christian minorities other minorities in the muslim society it's happening now don't be don't be surprised you have people who govern like umawis in our day who persecute christians because of their deen because of their theology but are supported by christians because of their politics so don't be confused al-imam al-husayn alayhi salam it was lived in the middle of all of this he saw what was going on he was aware of the issues and he caused the umawis to begin to fight among themselves this will happen this is almost like a historical fact when there is resistance to tyranny oppression and zulm it's not going to happen if we're just sitting on the sidelines just speaking about the issue we have to take action and we when we take action in whatever program organized as it is not manipulated not entrapped this is what's happening in today's world 
Muslims are either manipulated into action or entrapped into action. No, it's nothing, uh, Imam al-Husayn has nothing to do with that. And the Muslims who were committed and working, sacrificing and dying against oppressors, they were not just talking against them. They were doing something against them. So Marwan revolted against Al-Zahak ibn Qais. Both of them were Umawis and they began to fight against themselves. Al-Zahak ibn Qais who was an Umawi began to find common purpose with Ibn Zubayr in Al-Hijaz. Muawiyah II, the son of Yazid, he left the throne. He couldn't live with the type of divisions that were going on inside that royal family. And then Yazid himself, in one version, when he was running or racing monkeys, fell down and his head cracked and he died. That's one version of history. And I don't know if even that version or whatever other version there is, is true. He could have been killed by his sponsors. They use rulers, they meaning imperialists and Zionists. In those days there were the powers, the elites that had power and wealth were not known as imperialists and Zionists. Were not naive. But it was their equivalents who had supported Yazid. When he served them well, and he was of no longer any use to them, they got rid of him. That's another version, but it's not something that we read about. It could have been, could have been easily done. And they do it in today's world, and human nature hasn't changed. And shayateen al-ins wal-jinn are still around. If it wasn't for Imam al-Husayn, Muslims would not, Muslims since then, up until now and into the future, they would never have had a legitimate base to stand for their rights and to ask and die for their freedoms, the equality and the social justice that is demanded at the core of Islam. Not the rituals that, you know, Sunnis and Shi'is are arguing about. That's what they argue about. There was a revolt in Al-Madinah. There was a revolt. All of this is concomitant with Al-Imam Al-Husayn's time. A revolt in Mecca. A revolt in Al-Madinah. A revolt in Al-Kufa. And no one speaks about the crimes of the Umawis. A chapter that is missing from our common history is to write about, not in a ritualistic way, not in a sectarian way, to write about these as facts, to dig out the truth. Do you know that the Umawis incriminated ten Badris? Ten Sahabis who attended Badr said these are criminals and no hadith coming from them is acceptable. This has to go down as common knowledge in our makeup. The movement of Imam Al-Husayn brought back freedom of choice. Muslims, every human being in the world has freedom to choose their commitment, their conviction, and whatever path in life they want to pursue, as long as it's not criminal, of course. They have, Allah has given them that freedom. The Umawi said, no, you have no choice. It's either us or it's death. He said no to that. The Umawi religion that many Muslims follow, some of them are passing by us, the Umawi religion 
is known for four things. And nasib that is to express animosity to the prophet to the prophets ahlul bayt they couldn't probably in secret when they're sitting down among themselves they'd express their hatred to the prophet himself muawiyah who is a taliq he's not a sahabi this is another one of the impositions of history Shia say Muawiyah is a Sahabi, but they don't mean the same thing when Sunni say Muawiyah is a Sahabi. And now to take away the word Shia and Sunni, say Safawi and Umawi, because that's where the problems begin. He never, I challenge anyone to bring to me proof that he regretted, he made tawbah, he expressed his public regret for having fought against Allah's Prophet for 20 years, opposed him at the beginning in Mecca when there was no war going on, involved in persecuting and torturing the committed Muslims there, and then after the Muslims gained power in Al-Madinah, going to war against them. He and his likes, who became tulaqa. And these tulaqa should be identified and excluded from Al-Muhajireen and Al-Ansar and Al-Ridwaniyeen. They should be excluded, taken out. It's this blank statement that we spoke about in the previous khutbah. So the Umawis were known for this nasib and for al-jabr. Or you're predestined. Whatever's going to happen, you're predestined that that's going to happen to you. In other words, you know, there's no freedom of choosing your path in life. Al-tashbih, saying that there's similarities between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and man. This is known as a tashbih And you go to the books of hadith and you'll see when they speak Yadullahi fawqa aydihim Allah's hand. Okay, what does it mean hand? And then they become and tell you it's like the hand of man, but it's not like the hand of man. And then they even speak about fingers. Allah having fingers. And there's other such hadiths that I have in the in Allah khalaqa Adam ala in Allah khalaqa Adam ala suratah Allah created Adam in his image where does this come from you tell me we are mature Muslims who says that man is in the image of God the Quran says laysa kamithlihi shayt there is nothing that resembles him. There's nothing that we know that resembles Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So where did all this tashbih with similar... Here you begin to sense that there is a theological component to the Umawi policies that made their ways inside our books of hadith that contradict what the Quran and Allah jalla wa'ala is saying. Forget about the politics of the Umawis. Now we have the theology of the Umawis coming into our beliefs, our convictions. And there are many hadiths. Imam al Hussein came to rehabilitate the Quran and Islam. And he came to put an end to the bid'as. The bid'ah that the Umawis came along with. Not the bid'ah of the silly stuff that the Umawis today say that if you, after a salah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, taslimat al salah, after that, if you read a dua 
together or if you read some ayat from the Quran together, they tell you that's a bid'ah. This is this is how they collapsed the deen of Allah. It's sad that we still live the results until our day. So this tashbih that the Ummawis came along with, making almost Allah look like a human figure of sorts. And when the Mu'tazila came, and they said that Al-Qur'an is makhluq, the Qur'an is created, a civil war was about to erupt among the Muslims that could have killed hundreds of thousands of Muslims because some Muslims in their own mind, that's the way they think, said the Qur'an is created. Other Muslims said, no, the Qur'an is not created, and then they got into a war. They were almost going to get into a war because of this during the time of Harun al-Rashid's two sons, al-Amin and al-Ma'mum. But they themselves are implying that Allah resembles a human being and no one goes to war. No one thinks about the whole issue at all. And then finally the Umawis brought us al-Irja' which means you can do anything you want as long as you say Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah and you do your five obligatory pillars of Islam then you're going to al-Jannah. No need to think about al-Amr bil-ma'roof and al-Nahi anil munkar No need to think about people who have illegitimately accumulated wealth and illegitimately stole power. Take that out of your minds. They tell you, this is part of the Umawi religion. مَنْ بَنَى لِلَّهِ مَسْجِدًا بَنَى لَهُ اللَّهُ بَيْتًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ Whoever builds a masjid for Allah, Allah will build him a home in Al-Jannah. See how they're going to take you away? What's the masjid? The masjid has become almost a Judeo-Christian temple. You take away issues of justice, social justice, equality, fair distribution of wealth, all of these, you take it away from the masjid, the masjid is a place for prayer, you build something like that, Allah will honor you with a residence in Al-Jannah. They tell you, this is a hadith, they say this, they bring these hadiths, they they impose them in the books of hadith. Any ruler who has ruled for three days will not be held accountable and will not be punished. For, for those who understand the Arabic, إِذَا حَكَمَ حَاكِمٌ ثَلَاثَةَ أَيَّامٌ فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ حِسَابٌ وَلَا عِقَابٌ Another hadith says, instead of three days, forty days. Where did this come from? came from the Umawis. I don't mean to sound like I'm getting on anyone's nerves. That's not intended at all. What we're trying to do is clean our minds and our conscience of negative, destructive, historical residuals. That's all we're trying to do. Now we come the Arba'een of Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam. We have also Safawis, just like we have Umawis, we have Safawis. And they make you feel, I mean you're just a normal person and you're trying to tune in to what's going on and listening to your brothers and sisters in Islam. They want, want to make you feel like it is one of the most, if not the most important thing to walk to Al-Imam al Hussein's resting place. And you probably see on the news or read about it or whatever the case is. Some of them even wear the ihram attire. And some of them, they go between, as if they are going between al-Safa and al-Marwa and al-Hajj, they go between Maqam al-Imam al-Husayn and al-Abbas. They do their back and forth in that area. 
Where did all of this come from? We ask in a very impartial, innocent way, did any of the Imams do any such thing? They were around, they were living. They could have done something like that. Did they do any of that? We want an answer. And we want an answer not because we want to score a point or we want to make someone feel that you know they're doing something that is un-Islamic. No, no. We just want to ourselves to regain our balance. We're out of shape. We're out of balance. Some of them will come and tell you, they give khutbahs, they give talks and presentations. Ziyaratul Imam al-Husayn bi alfi hajjah which means visiting Imam al-Husayn is equivalent to going to Hajj 1,000 times. This is Quranic education. And this is not, this. When we say you're going, you're going too far. We don't mean to disrespect Imam al-Husayn. Actually, what they are doing is causing other Muslims to look the other way and not consider Imam al-Husayn. They don't know it. They're, Many of them, if not 99% of them, are trying in their best possible way to relive or revivify the goals and the struggle of Imam al-Husayn. And then they say, other Muslims are watching and listening. Just like we say in Al-Hajj, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ Here we go, they say, لَبَّيْكَ يَا حُسَيْن لَبَّيْكَ يَا حُسَيْن in the linguistic sense of the word, nothing wrong with that. Here we come, Imam Hussein. We are responding to you, Imam Hussein. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is some words, they have a linguistic meaning and they have a shara'i meaning. When you use these words in, let's call it a religious practice or a religious tradition, when you use innocent words in that context, other Muslims get the impression that this has become a tenet of Islam, when it's not. So this area also has to be cleaned up. Others will say, visiting Imam al-Husayn on the day of Arafah is equivalent to 1,000 Hajj pilgrimages and 1,000 Umrahs. The major pilgrimage and the lesser pilgrimage. One thousand of each. Where did this come from? Is there an ayah? Is there a hadith of this sort? So let us return to the common atmospherics of Allah and Ahlul, and His Prophet and Ahlul Bayt. Even one satellite station is called Satellite Al-Arba'i. Muslims are not sleeping Muslims now they have gaps in their minds and it's very easy to fill these gaps with misinformation about our own selves this is what happens when we don't communicate when was the last time you saw I don't want to say Umawis and Safawis when was the last time you saw Sunnis and Shi'is have a meeting of hearts and minds here Let's not go thousands of miles away here. Can anyone suggest something like that? Let's meet and begin to deal with these issues. So when minds are empty, they begin. some Muslims on the other side say that this Arba'in is taken from Jewish traditions. Now to answer that, that, not everything in Jewish history is negative. If Muslims don't eat pork, can someone say we took that from Jewish traditions? You can't say that. So we don't know. I haven't investigated this issue in the, in the Jewish history, in Jewish religion, etc., etc. But when we come down to this Arba'in issue, we're not saying this is something haram, astaghfirullah. No, it's something that, oh, fine, people want to do it, that's good, nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is to, to give the impression that if you don't do that, 
you're something like a lesser Muslim. That's when things begin to go wrong. Or something is wrong with you. This this concerns Arba'in. It concerns the one week. You know, there's one week after a person passes away. You, Some Muslims, they read Fatiha. They get together. They go to the grave or in a masjid or whatever. These, are, these have nothing to do with the ayat and the guidelines of Allah's Prophet and those belonging to Allah's Prophet. There's no basis for it in that. Ta'ziyah is three days when a person passes away and the two other days that follow that. Or you can say the three other days that follow. That's it. That's the ta'ziyah. And there now, if you want to have you know one week or okay, that's fine. That's a voluntary thing. Don't don't make other Muslims feel like it's something that if they don't do something is wrong here. Nothing wrong. But this is the way it is, and we have to outgrow this. There has to be much more inter and intra communication among us. It's not haram, obviously. But it's not a shar'i component of our deen. And being that this is, I'm going to end this khutbah. Please forgive me, brothers and sisters. I've taken much too long in this one khutbah. We began a little late. And when, when we began also, the first part of the khutbah was not recording, recorded during, because of a lapse of memory. Basically on my behalf. I had the recorder in my pocket. Whatever the case is, the day before yesterday was the 52nd year in which Che Guevara was killed. If if you, with also here, don't get just like we have our problem, Sunni and Shiite. The world out there has a problem between capitalist and communist. Without getting involved in these two counter arguments. Just take an impartial look at his life. There's no rituals here. No one is saying he belongs to this or to that or etc. This person was out to try to bring justice to people who were the underclasses of the world. Anyone watching this, I don't care what religion they have, I don't care what political philosophy they go by, anyone watching this says this is a man that had a principle and this is a man that had honor and he gave his life because he believed that there should not be a class of people that is oppressing the rest of humanity. Who cannot identify with that? Why can't, when people speak about an Imam Al-Husayn, why can't they present him as a person who is out for the rights of those who have been denied their rights They've been even denied their lives without getting mired into the ritualism that was generated by the Umawis and then counter-generated by the Safawis. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة. الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وأولي التقى Now let's take a brief look here because of the time factor Let's take a brief look at the Umawis of today The Umawi ambassador in London who I think is, if I'm not mistaken, the son of the ex-ambassador in Washington DC whose sister is the the son's sister is the current ambassador in Washington DC brother in London sister in Washington he said the war the uh, the butcher al-qahtani saud al-qahtani is now under investigation well, how, how long how long does this investigation go? Where is this investigation? Does anyone appear in this uh, uh, observers to this investigation? Then we had a, 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 all of a sudden abrupt. We mentioned in the past khutbah that yesterday, Thursday, they were supposed to pass 
judgment or a sentence on the scholar Salman al-Awda. Then all of a sudden, they delayed this until the 30th of this month. What is, what's, what's the dynamic there? Allahu A'lam. And then we have Aramco screaming why the United States did not take retaliatory action because of the missiles that landed in its oil fields last month. They're crying uncle. Saudi Arabia right now is interrogating one of its mates. Saudi Arabia. The Umawis are interrogating one of their major intelligence officers who was the liaison between the representative of Hamas and the Umawi administration in the Arabian Peninsula. For the first time, the Umawis, that's another word for the Saudi Arabian rulers, they now have given permission for women tourists to check into a hotel room of their own without proving any marriage and without without any questions asked basically they can go just like uh, any hotel in these other countries and present their ids and sign in and go to their room and do whatever they want in their room now this has caused a stir inside that conservative traditionalist society for the first time we've i've heard of a saudi arabian comes on one of these social media outlets and he says saudi arabia has to establish diplomatic ties with the israelis and he justifies that well we have diplomatic ties with the united states and israel is the 51st state of the united states so why can't we have ties with the israelis he says we have diplomatic ties with lebanon and we know what lebanon is doing to saudi policies we have diplomatic ties with iraq we have diplomatic ties with yemen we have and on and on and on so why can't we have diplomatic ties with the Israelis. This is this is how they are beginning to prepare public opinion for that ultimate decision. After three years, the United Arab Emirates had banned its citizens from traveling to Lebanon. Now it says it's all right for you to travel to Lebanon. Imran Khan, the Pakistani decision maker, supreme decision maker has been on a mission tasked by the Saudis to go to Tehran to say let's sit down and work these things out couldn't couldn't we have just sat down several years ago a couple of decades ago and it, it took all of these billions hundreds of no exaggeration hundreds of billions of dollars hundreds of thousands if not millions of Muslims who were killed because of Saudi policies and now they want to sit down and speak about their differences we didn't we didn't need all of that in Egypt 170 teachers were dismissed from their jobs because they are suspected of belonging to al-ikhwan al-muslimin a square in Cairo, Egypt, called Ramses Square, looks like a war zone now as we speak. A war is in another phase in northern Syria. The Turkish troops have crossed the international boundaries and gone into northern Syria, and now the Kurds and the Turks are killing each other. Can't they just sit down instead of committing the same mistakes that Arabian regimes have committed and Arabian freelance mercenaries have committed. We've been going through this month after month, year after year, generation after generation. And we can trace much of this problem to our own inadequacies and misinformation. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah 
وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا إننا سمعنا مناديا ينادي للإيمان أن آمنوا بربكم فآمنا ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف الميعاد ربنا صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل وسلم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حير الصلاة حير الفلا قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم <تصفيق> <تصفيق> 